Welcome to this podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name is Jilly Lyons and I'm an event planner here at the college. Today I'm joined by Dr. Sean Jagger, um, who's a consultant anaesthetist at the Royal Brompton Hospital. And we're going to have a talk about um, supporting and guidance. So hello, Sean. Hi, Jilly. Um, can I start by asking, how did you find yourself in a supportive and guiding role? Well, I guess I've been sort of undertaking roles like that for my whole career partly because it's always been an interest for me so as a junior doctor I was part of the terrible old days of lots of hours and so you had to support and guide the people who were working with you because there wasn't anyone else to do it you were there together all the time and I found I enjoyed it that I got things from it, and they seemed to keep coming back to me. So as I continued my career, it just happened. That sounds a bit nebulous, but it's the truth. That's great. Thank you very much. (laughs) Is there a lack of supportive guidance for women, would you say, now, or was there when you first started? So I think... I'm I'm always a bit uncertain about trying to separate out different groups. I think that maybe when I first started, there was a lack of support for women, not because there was lots of support for men, but all that time ago, there was a lot of old boys club and they would help each other out. And women weren't as good about having an old ladies club to support each other going forwards. Um, Nowadays, there's a lot more thought into supporting and guiding people as they continue through their career. So I don't think there is any particular lack for any group. And I think every group may feel that they don't get what they need Um, but I think groups can feel that if they ask they may be in a bad position so men may feel that if they ask for mentoring they're somehow not very manly and not wish to get mentoring women may feel that people will go she's just being a bit pathetic and not ask and people from other cultures may just not even realize that this is something that might be available in the UK so I think there can be a lack for every group Um, but obviously I'm a woman so I quite interested in support and guidance for women although of course I'm involved in support and guidance for other groups as well. Is there a difference with providing guidance for overseas students? If so how would you change your approach? So I'm not sure that I necessarily think there's a difference in providing in the way I provide guidance in the sense that I always try and find out what it is that that particular student or trainee wants uh, rather than imposing what I think they need. 
what I would say is that trainees coming from some backgrounds have come from a place where they feel that the consultant must know best and won't ask questions that might make them appear stupid or say things that might that they feel might contradict the consultant and so in those circumstances I make a particular attempt to ensure that I check that they know it's okay to ask questions that they feel they should know the answer to but don't and that they do not have to agree with me this is not about me telling them what they must do it's about me helping them find what is best for them but I feel the same about men and women from this country as well because everyone's a little bit different so you need to check what they need rather than what you think they should have Uh, it's just that perhaps you need to be a little bit more specific about eliciting those things from some people can I just ask you were you mentored when you were younger or did you feel that you would have liked to be mentored so or guided I don't think anyone really specifically thought about mentoring and guiding people it was something that happened but there are definitely three or four people that I can think of through my career who had really major impacts on the way I felt about what I could or could not do Um, because I certainly I'm sure like many people had times when I thought oh no I'm not really capable of that and I was really fortunate to have consultants around who told me not to be silly and to if it was something I was interested in to have a go and that was really helpful to be able to talk things through with senior people as well as with people of your own grade Mm -hmm. because they'd been there before so they could give you some pointers about things that might stop you but also help you understand why it shouldn't stop you. How would you deal with a scenario where a student was not ready for the exam? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's always challenging because the exam is such an important time point in your career. So the first thing I try to do is to get the trainee to understand themselves that they might not be ready and so I will try asking questions about practice they've had in the different types of the exam so if they're coming up to the MCQ I'm going to ask them about how many MCQ practice papers they've done what sort of percentage they get in the practice papers 
done under practice circumstances and try and point out to them the importance of being if anything over prepared because if you're only scraping through in your practice papers with the stress of a situation of the actual exam you may drop a little you may gain a little but being borderline is always a bad place to be because you can be borderline and drop below I wish I didn't know that from personal experience, but I failed both the part two and the part three. Um, And it hasn't stopped me. So I think it's really important for people to try and appreciate for themselves whether they are ready. If you can't do that in terms of practice papers, then to a certain extent, you have to let people waste their money. Um, Because if you lose your money and fail the exam, that's a really obvious thing that tells you you're not ready and that you need to change. But I try to avoid people having to waste their money by getting them to do practice beforehand. If someone feels that they need guidance, how would they go about it? So... I think there are a number of different ways you can do that. Of course, there are the formal mechanisms that are provided through Health Education England. Uh, And in fact, many uh, groups of people will also provide. So, for example, the Association of Anaesthetists has a mentoring scheme. And if you're a member of that, you can get a mentor. Um, Many schools of anaesthesia have formalised mentoring schemes within them. And for trainees who are undertaking uh, research, many universities require that such trainees, in addition to their educational supervisor for the higher degree, also have a mentor who is entirely separate from that, uh, but has some understanding of that. And indeed, I have done some mentoring uh, in that role. Having said all of that, I think the most important thing is that people should find someone with whom they feel comfortable enough to be able to talk truthfully, whilst understanding that By definition, they may feel a little bit uncertain because if they're looking for advice from someone who's already done this, they're almost certainly talking about getting a more senior person. And so they have to be prepared for that slight uncertainty and nervousness. But the vast majority of consultants only want to be able to help their trainees so if you go to a consultant with whom you feel a degree of confidence then it is unusual in my experience that the consultant wouldn't be prepared to have a chat and give you some support and guidance Uh, and if they do refuse then they weren't the right person and it's important to try someone else because most people will be very happy to provide it 
if you prefer to avoid the more formal routes. Oh, I'm glad you finished off with that because that was going to be my next <laughs> question. Do you have people who come to you with a direct approach and, you know, are you happy to, well, obviously you've explained you're happy to take them <laughs> if needs be. Would you, if, for example, if you felt you weren't quite right but you knew somebody who was, would you suggest a recommendation? Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes. So I've certainly had trainees come to me and say they want a mentor and we've had a discussion and I've asked them what what they want from the person that they are uh, wanting help from, what, what are the things they're after. And indeed, that's how I came to be a mentor for a trainee uh, undertaking research. Uh, my ex-supervisor from my time as a research student suggested I should mentor this trainee. Uh, and I was a little bit shocked, but said to him, well, as long as this trainee uh, liked the idea of having me, I was very happy to do it. But they weren't allowed to say they liked the idea until they'd actually met me. <laughs> so they had to have a conversation with me first. And I think that is important, that you need to be able to talk to someone and then go away and say, hmm, no, that is the right person or it isn't. So I've certainly sent people to other colleagues uh, when that seemed of an appropriate thing to do. Thank you very much. And the last question for you. Can you talk about the benefits for yourself as a guide and for those that are being guided? Hmm. Benefits for those being guided is challenging in that I can only know what I think I'm doing, which is, and I think I'm providing them with the help that they are asking for but you'd have to ask them if that was really true so I don't know for them for me as a mentor one of the really useful things oh there are several one is training has changed since I was a trainee so I get to learn lots of new information um, I have mentored consultant colleagues from either different specialties or from different backgrounds and again I get all sorts of new and different information that gives me a broader perspective on the challenges that face my colleagues um, so I'm learning new things all the time and that keeps me interested I, I always say to trainees, you know, if you do something all the time, it becomes routine and not so interesting. As a trainee, I wasn't all that interested in inserting laryngeal masks. I did hundreds, if not thousands. And I always wanted to do more interesting things like insertion of double lumen tubes. Nowadays, as a cardiothoracic anaesthetist, actually I find it much more exciting to insert a laryngeal mask because I so rarely do it. Mm. And trainees laugh at me all the time. But if you do something all the time, it's routine. When you do something a little bit different, it's more interesting. And that's what mentoring, supporting and guiding does for me. It gives me new ideas and new things to keep me interested in my career. Sean, thank you very much for being with us today.
This podcast was brought to you by the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Please don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up to date with our latest episodes. Please note, all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.